welcome back to the Reg Studies Podcast. I'm Nate Thompson with the GW Regulatory Studies Center, and I'm joined today by Bridget Dooling, a research professor at the center and a faculty member at GW Law. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Nate. Also joining us is Mark Fabrizio, Senior Policy Analyst at the Center. Hi, Mark. Hey, Nate. So we're going to give you a quick overview of a substantial set of changes that will influence rulemaking potentially for years to come. We're talking about Executive Order 14094, known as Modernizing Regulatory Review. And today we'll talk to you about what's new and especially what is open for comment as OIRA and OMB solicit input on these proposals. So Mark, can you tell us what is modernizing regulatory review? Absolutely. Uh, Executive order 14094, or sometimes we'll say EO in place of executive order. It was issued in uh, the beginning of this month, April 6th. It's the follow-up to a presidential memorandum, which was issued on inauguration day. And the sum of it is that it articulates some changes to regulatory policy, which is something that all recent presidents since Jimmy Carter have done. Um, the main highlights, though, is that it reaffirmed the core principles of regulatory analysis that have been in place since the Clinton administration. Um, and the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA, uh, still retains a prominent role in the centralized review of regulations in coordination among agencies when reviewing regulations, and also in soliciting public input um, on regulatory matters. And it's important to point out that it wasn't a given that the role of a liar was going to stay the same. Isn't that right, Bridget? Yeah, I think that's right. I was really glad to see that OIRA's role remains central and that the core principles of regulatory analysis are intact. Um, it wasn't entirely clear, you know, which which direction this administration would take, and it's gratifying to see them uh, keep moving forward with those longstanding principles. Yeah, so digging a little deeper into those changes from prior administrations, um, Mark, do you want to recap what, what those important updates would be? Yeah, so I think one of the first things that stood out to me um, was that this is the first executive order uh, since George W. Bush to explicitly modify the provisions of EO 12866, which was the executive order issued by President Clinton. It is the framework for regulatory analysis and centralized review uh, in the executive branch. Uh, so President George W. Bush, uh, he issued two directives that amended 12866, that's um, 13.258 of 2002, and 13422 of 2007. The first order from 2002 was mostly focused on which government officials are carrying out the provisions of 12866 and often was removing the vice president from the mix. And uh, our director, Susan Dudley, pointed out to, to me that this makes sense because this was right after 9-11 occurred. And so uh, the vice president had a lot of other high priority things to be dealing with. They didn't need to be as in the weeds in the day-to-day -day of some of the regulatory administration. The second order that Bush uh, issued in 2007 made some additional changes, such as including guidance documents in regulatory review in a formal matter. However, since Bush and up until Biden, um, Obama and Trump, neither of them explicitly um, modified any of the provisions of 12866. For President Obama, 
uh, he did revoke the Bush amendments. So it returned to its Clinton status. Um, and then he issued executive order 13563 uh, and several other additional executive orders that built on it. Um, but the distinction was that 13563 supplemented and reaffirmed 12866. It didn't actually modify any of its provisions or its text. Then under the Trump administration, uh, a lot has been discussed about Executive Order 13771, which implemented the regulatory budgeting budgeting scheme. However, uh, what's notable is it didn't actually amend 12866. This regulatory budgeting process was created on top um, of the provisions of 12866 and sort of uh, operated in tandem with it. Um, and that's not to say that Trump's presidency didn't lead to changes in how agencies went about regulatory review, but those changes didn't stem from actual amendments to the text of 12866. No, oh, thanks, Mark. Um, and so in a, addition to the many detailed changes that you pointed out, we can also really discuss a much different emphasis from administration um, the, the previous administration to what Biden has in store for us. Is that right, Bridget? Yeah, I think that's right. And what we're going to do now is just sort of walk through the main changes that jumped out to us in exec the executive order. Um, and that gives you a flavor of the direction of this. Um, it's more focused on um, ideas about equity in rulemaking and encouraging public participation and thinking about some of the procedures that OIRA uses when it meets the public while it has something under review, um, as well as the scope of OIRA's review. So, so yeah, it's a very different uh, feeling from what the Trump administration was focused on, which, as Mark said, was really about regulatory budgets and like cost containment. You know, sort of focusing on deregulation as opposed to techniques for, say, engaging the public while doing regulation, which you see much more attention to in the Biden EO. Among the updates that stand out are the proposed changes to the significance determinations. And Mark, what will those changes look like? Yeah. So first to take a step back, when we say significance determinations, it's essentially um, the provisions that establish the threshold for which, um, which agency actions are considered significant under Executive Order 12866. And the implication of that is significant actions are the ones that are required to be reviewed by OIRA. Uh, and so this executive order um, made a few changes to that. Previously, uh, what was called the economically significant determination, it was any action that was expected to have an $100 million impact in any one year um, was determined to be significant. Now that's been adjusted to 200 million in any one year. And the administrator of OIRA is also supposed to revisit that figure every three years just to keep pace with inflation uh, and growth in GDP. Uh, the other important change related to significance determinations is that um, one of the other provisions that's related to novel legal and policy uh, actions um, it introduces an express role for the OIRA administrator to play in deciding which of those other significant actions per se are coming in for review. Yeah, and I can say a little bit more about that. Um, that that last point that Mark made about other significant actions um, was just wasn't really clear what the OIRA administrator's role was in that before. And so what they've amended here is just to make it clear that that will be a decision of the OIRA administrator, um, his or herself. 
So, so the EO directs OIRA to enhance its approach to public engagement. And Bridget, you touched on that a little bit earlier. What can we expect in this area? Yeah, so the EO has a whole list of homework for the agencies themselves, not just OIRA. It asks the agencies to to work harder to consult with a wide range of groups that could be affected by proposed regulatory changes, um, and also to help people understand that they have opportunities to petition regulatory agencies for regulatory changes. Um, petitioning is something that the Administrative Procedure Act authorizes, but it probably is a mechanism that isn't used enough. And so this EO you know, taps agencies with uh, perhaps doing a little bit more public education about petition opportunities. And then going further on petitions, it directs um, agencies to respond to those petitions efficiently. That's a place where the APA is silent. So that's actually coming up with some new policy that, you know, when a petition is received, that agencies should uh, respond efficiently. And then also directs the agencies to keep a log of such petitions. Um, it's likely some agencies were doing this anyway, uh, just to keep track of them, frankly. Um, but this articulates an expectation of the president that agencies are keeping an eye on these petitions and to be ready to share updates about those petitions with OIRA when it asks. Um, now, I'm just speaking for myself, I'm not sure why something about these petitions couldn't be made public in general, um, you know, even if it was just very high level status information. At the moment, the, the EO describes um, the information just being available to OIRA upon request. But I could imagine a lot of different folks being interested in the status of petitions, you know, when were they received, who were they from, what was the general topic, and what's the general, you know, sort of status or disposition, even if the agency doesn't feel like it can share a lot of deliberative or any deliberative information about how it's thinking about the petition, just knowing that the petitions are sort of logged someplace and that, you know, if you sent the petition in, you can sort of keep an eye on it from the outside might be something else for them to consider along the way. And then lastly, the executive order also directs agencies to consult with the public on their draft agendas. Draft agendas are something that agencies put out every six months that are a forward-looking document saying over the next 12 months, which type of regs do we expect to be doing? So this EO directs agencies to take advantage of that process, which as I say, happens every six months. It's an opportunity to engage with different stakeholders about planned regulatory actions and there's a lot of folks, including myself, who would say that engaging up front at the agenda setting stage is perhaps the most constructive time to engage with the public rather than, you know, after a 400 page <laughs> rule has been drafted and sweated over, you know, blood, sweat and tears on the part of the agencies. You know, it can be hard to make big changes at that point. So this is a, from my perspective, a really welcome change to encourage agencies to get out there and get their ideas about their their plans um, out there and in the public hands. That seems really noticeable to me as well, because we see agencies issuing these semi-annual unified agendas, and it takes a long time to actually really figure out what's in them. And we'll see notices in the Federal Register alerting people after the fact, but to kind of flip it on its head and have those potentially some engagement on the, the beforehand uh, definitely seems really meaningful in terms of helping the public actually shape what agencies are prioritizing in terms of their regulatory priorities uh, in their on their different administrations. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, as we know, the agenda is made public every six months already. That's been in place since the 
Clinton EO was signed. Um, and so you could say, you know, what's the big deal? It's all on the internet. Anyone could take a look at it. But it's it's yeah. pretty specialized knowledge to even know that there is a regulatory agenda, where to find it, how often it comes out, you know, how to interpret the information that's in there. So I think I'm putting, directing the agencies to be in a more proactive stance with respect to sort of sharing information about what's in that agenda, I think could be a really good thing. And it could be, to me, it's the right time for you know, pretty high level engagement because that's when the agency is setting their priorities. That's when mm -hmm. they're saying, look, we can only issue so many rules in a year because we're constrained like everybody else. So what should we focus on? And so that strikes me as a really fruitful fruitful change that's reflected in this EO. Uh, bringing the public in at the ground floor does seem like it could make a really big difference. Another thing I wanted to touch on, um, so our team has been really leading the way when it comes to potential impacts in the rulemaking process with mass comments and computer-generated comments. Uh, and the two of you in particular have been vocal in, in speaking about this. Uh, Mark, what, do you, what did you see in the EO that actually dealt with mass comments? Yeah, so it's it's notable that the executive order expressly gave OIRA authority to issue guidance and also offer tools um, for agencies to use in dealing with mass comments, in dealing with computer-generated comments, including those that were generated through artificial intelligence, and also the uh, falsely attributed comments, or malattributed, as some scholars refer to it. Um, and those are all things that have become... Um, a bigger concern within the regulatory process. Uh, Bridget and I even wrote a piece recently that talks about how um, generative AI might be impacting public commenting and some of the concerns as well as maybe even some of the benefits related to that. But it's certainly good uh, seeing OIRA being given a much more prominent role in pushing forward guidance on how agencies should be handling these things. And hopefully providing a little bit more um, consistency among how agencies handle uh, this sort of emerging challenge. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think OIRA really had this role already, uh, but it's always nice to see it written down in black and white and have a very clear role for OIRA rather than it just sort of being assumed. So that's what I take from that is that it's just cementing the role that OIRA has been playing along with federal partners, uh, most notably at the General Services Administration, where they run the e-rulemaking PMO, which is an interagency, um, uh, which, which sort of runs with a lot of interagency input. And so there has been and continues to be um, a nice, really nice, robust working group of federal folks working on issues that, you know, new tech provokes. And so um, this is just, you know, further development in that space. And I think it's a, an encouraging development. So I, OIRA is a little unique in the way it, it lets the public approach the bureaucracy and how is it possible for the public to uh, get a meeting with OIRA? Yeah, so um, some folks might not be familiar with this, but OIRA uh, has a procedure so that anybody can ask them for a meeting when they have something under review. And typically OIRA doesn't take meetings on a rule that will be coming at some point. Um, they tend to just wait until they have the rule there under review. And when a rule is under review, you can tell because it's on OIRA's website. So it's sort of this, this ongoing roster of rules that, that rolls through OIRA. When you see one that you're interested in, you can request a meeting. Um, and so the new EO directs OIRA to update some policies around how these meetings take place. 
Um, so first of all, it directs OIRA to try to encourage groups that haven't requested this kind of meeting before um, just to sort of let them know about the opportunity and in fact encourage them to to come in for meetings if they wish. Um, also, it gives OIRA some authority to uh, discourage duplicative meeting requests. Um, OIRA's resources are quite constrained and so you know they really can't take multiple meetings on the same topic. So this gives OIRA some flexibility to, you know, uh, certainly professionally gently push back and say, you know, we, we do need to cap the number of meetings that we have with, say, any one group. Um, and then it also directs OIRA to make meeting information available in an open, machine-readable, and accessible format, which I think they were already doing, but, you know, it's always good to see the EO reflect, um, uh, you know, current practices at OIRA and to try to cement them for the future. So, yeah, some, some uh, marginal changes, I would say, to the meetings policy. Um, there was some question about whether, um, you know, what the role of meetings at OIRA would be. Um, and this EO tells us that the administration is interested in continuing to have OIRA host the public for these meetings. It just uh, creates some new procedures for doing so. Uh, yes. And then in, in wrapping up our examination of the EO itself, there'll be a couple of more pieces to this overall effort. And, and Mark, do you wanna just introduce those other important pieces? Sure, uh, this is beyond beyond just the executive order itself. Uh, OIRA is changing, gonna be changing quite a bit uh, in terms of what uh, regulatory analysis. And one of the most important pieces to that is a revised circular A4, which is essentially uh, the piece of guidance that OIRA used to, in, to guide agencies uh, in how to do regulatory analysis well. Uh, and they're gonna be revising that in consultation with the CEA or the Council on uh, Economic Advisors and other relevant agencies. And the goal is to have it all done within a year. Yeah, and that's, that's ambitious timing. Um, I mean, the first time Circular A4 was issued, it was issued only after many, many years of development. Uh, including multiple rounds of public comment and peer review, and there, you know, there's no, there's no reason that it should take, you know, that long to update a circular. Um, but even so, you know, getting all of this incredibly technical um, uh, information updated within a year will is is an ambitious timeline. Um, but they've set, you know, they've set some internal timelines on that as well, and I expect that we will see them move forward with that. Um, very quickly. And that's it makes sense that they would want to update circular A4 in time to be able to to take advantage of some of the methodological changes that they are uh, pursuing. I don't think there'd be anything to stop an agency from um, you know in, in taking putting some of these techniques into effect um, sooner before circular A4 comes out. but I'm sure a lot of folks will feel more comfortable if they're, using these different uh, methodologies under cover of a revised A4. So it makes sense yeah. that they want to do it quickly. I will say, having looked at it ever so briefly, you know, it's it's meaty. The changes to A4 are substantial. There's a lot to be said about them. And hopefully we'll get a chance to get into those in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. And, you know, so people talk about cost-benefit analysis, for example, when it comes to regs. Circular A4 is basically where you find 
you know, the guidance, the guidelines to agencies on how to do things like cost benefit analysis. So the document can get kind of long, kind of technical, uh, but obviously it's really important because that methodology ends up informing the way the agency tries to justify its regulatory choices. And what comes next in this review process? So um, what we want to make sure that listeners are aware of is that OMB is accepting comments on the implementation of some of these changes. So first, uh, there's a, there is a request for comments on the aspects of the revised meetings policy for 12866 meetings. There's also separate requests for comments, each for the circular A4 revisions and circular A94, which deals with uh, some issues such as discount rates in regulatory analysis. And lastly, um, all of these are due uh, all the public comments here are due by June 6th of this year. And so, uh, yeah, uh, the, the clock is ticking and OMB is awaiting public feedback on some of these draft changes they've made, especially to the circulars. Yeah, and on the circular front, um, OMB is also accepting nominations for peer reviewers for Circular A4. Those are due pretty soon. Uh, we're taping this on April 21st, and I suspect, um, you know, it's just about a week from now that the nominations are due. So that's good. That's one of those signs that they really are trying to move quickly to update Circular A4. Um, and we'll, we hopefully will get a nice, good, robust panel of peer reviewers um, to take a take a really close look at those um, methodological changes that the, the government is proposing to Circular A4. And lastly, I'm going to add to that. Um... I think we're interested in seeing how these changes really play out in practice, some of these changes. And so in terms of the uh, significance determinations that we were talking about, the expectation of that change uh, in the significance threshold is that fewer rules are going to be reviewed by OIRA in total. Uh, CEA expects a reduction of about 20%, but ultimately that's an empirical question and one we probably we'll get more clarity on as time elapses and the policies actually started to be implemented. Well, we can expect these modernizing proposals will be watched intently by the Reg Studies team and our listeners. We have several public interest comments in development as we speak, and you can also find some initial commentaries by our experts on our website at go.gwu.edu slash regstudies and click on publications to find those. Many thanks to our guests, Bridget and Mark, for sharing these insights today, and thanks for listening. We hope you'll stay tuned for additional conversations this spring as we unpack more details about the modernizing regulatory review proposals and draft circulars coming soon. Thank you all. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Mark.